As we continue in our series in Exodus, we have gotten a little bit out of order and we are backtracking now to look at this particular battle, this skirmish that happened. So I want to reposition us real quick of what the context of our text is. Now, Moses and the Israelites have gotten out of Egypt from the slavery of Egypt. God has brought them out, crossed them through the Red Sea, and even brought them through the wilderness of sin. And now, as they find water and shade and rest at Rephidim, they face the first outward attack as they're going to the promised land. Now, one thing I'd like to remind us is that there is a particular parallel between the story of the Israelites and our story as Christians. We see that there is a parallel between what God has done through the people of Israel in our lives as he calls us to Christ and leads us to the promised land. And by that, I simply mean, just as God has called Israelite out of the slavery of Egypt, he has called you and I out of the slavery of sin. Just as God has passed them through the Red Sea, he has called us into baptism and new life in Christ. And just as God is leading his people, the Israelites, to the promised land, God is leading you and I to that eternal promised land as well. So there is a parallel we see on what is happening in our text with the Israelite people and what is happening and unfolding in our own lives. So how are we then to understand this battle, this skirmish, this outward attack? That's what we're going to look at today. What does this particular battle say about our journey to the promised land. If we look, we are told here in verse 8, by the way, I apologize, I have no slides for us today, so you're going to have to keep your Bibles open, all right, and stay with me. If we look in verse 8, this is what it says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. We're told that as the Israelites are encamped here at Rephidim with shade and water, that they are being attacked by another army. If we look in Deuteronomy 25, it gives us a, a little bit more of a detailed account of how these attacks were. It's written here, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. We are being told that as the Israelites were weak and weary, thirsty, hungry, and tired, that the Amalites came and took those who were trailing behind, those who couldn't keep up that this army came and took advantage of the Israelites in their most weakest moments. And brothers and sisters, isn't that how we often feel when we feel the outward pressures, these spiritual battles coming in, that it often comes at the times when we are most weak, when we are most weary, when we are seeking hope. So in verse 9, this is what Moses says to Joshua. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight. 
with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Moses tells Joshua, we are being attacked. Take an army, go into the valleys and fight. Tomorrow I will go on the hill and I will take the staff of God with me and I will be there for you. Here commentators note the significance of the language of tomorrow, of tomorrow. We see that Moses addresses his enemies even when the plagues are coming upon them that he will do this tomorrow, that God will do this tomorrow, meaning that even though there is struggle and strife today, tomorrow there will be hope. So brothers and sisters, if you are already awoken to the reality that there is a spiritual battle, that your sicknesses, your struggles are not just things of this world, but in fact, there are deeper spiritual realities. Have hope today, for tomorrow, the Lord will do a mighty work. We are reminded that tomorrow is always hopeful when we look to the Lord. So what I want us to look at in three parts this morning is that there is a battle in the valley. There is hope on the hills. And the Lord is our banner. There is a battle in the valley. There is hope on the hills. And the Lord is our banner. A couple nights ago, two nights ago, I was in the shower and I was praying for you all. I know, really intimate. That's how close I feel to you guys. My most vulnerable moments, I pray for you guys in the shower. And I felt an enormous amount of of, um, holy angst as I prayed for us. And I said, Lord, would you open our eyes? We want to see God. We want to see the battles that are going on. Would you open our eyes to the reality that there is a spiritual battle going on? Would you make us to pray? Would you make us to pray? Would you open our eyes? We want to see God. We want to see God. We want to see God. Would you make us to pray? Would you make us to pray? Would you make us to pray? And this is in the middle of the night. I'm in the shower and I'm trying so hard not to actually scream it out loud for my wife and kids were already asleep. And I'm praying and I'm asking that the Lord would make us to see that all the things that you and I struggle with here and now and today are not just psychological, aren't just health or behavior related, but although all things can't be explained spiritually, All things are in the spiritual realm as well. There is a battle in the valley. As Joshua takes his army there, they are fighting a real enemy. As you and I are in the valleys, we are fighting a real enemy. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that our fight is not with flesh and with blood, but it's with the other spiritual things that we, you and I, don't engage like Joshua and his army with a physical enemy with swords and shields, but you and I are called to battle against the spiritual 
enemies, Satan, and all those who follow him. That's why we are told to be sober-minded, to put on the armor of God. Brothers and sisters, there is a battle going on. There is a battle in the valleys. Some of you guys are in the valleys, but you're still blinded to the fact that this is a spiritual battle. You think as long as you figure it out, find the right things, hope in different things, that you will come out of this valley, but this battle is not just of flesh and blood, it's spiritual. What I mean by that, it is a battle. It is a battle so that you would find your hope in not the things of this world, but in God. This is why we are told as Ephesians 6 continues, Matter of fact, let's just turn there, Ephesians 6. Let's turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians is after Galatians. Ephesians 6, 13. We'll read 12, actually, verse 12 to 18. Ephesians 6, 12 to 18. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the ruler, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We are being reminded today as we look at the battle of Amalek and the Israelites, you and I are called to battle not a physical enemy, but a spiritual enemy that will come for our souls. That will come to try to win our allegiance. That will come to try to snuff out our hope that we have in Christ. There is a battle. We must be well suited with the armor of God. These battles happen in little moments, and these battles happen in big moments. Alfred Hitchcock once said that movies are life with the dull bits cut out. And that is exactly why I love movies so much, because I hate the dull little moments. I like the car chases, the explosions, the battles, the heroic winning of the day. But what if it is in those little moments, brothers and sisters, as we brush our teeth, as we wait in traffic, as we sit at our desk at work, that the spiritual battles are taking place? What if in those little moments, as we struggle with our relationship with our loved ones, our family, our friends, that the Lord is wooing us to be like Christ, to obey and to love and to forgive? What if it's in those little moments that the big battles are won? 
Brothers and sisters, do not ignore those little moments where the Spirit tugs at your heart to be like Christ. What about the big moments? A lot of us don't realize that simply reading the Bible, coming to church, being in community in and of itself could be a spiritual battle. That those moments where you've designated a plan to read the word, to be in prayer, to gather with one another, when those things get thwarted, could it be that that is exactly what the enemy wants? Could it be that we have to actually fight and try and be disciplined in holiness? Men, we have to fight. You know, when I think about our men and the generation, although I'm fairly young myself, one of the things that frustrates me most is that we do not know how to fight. Men, we need to start learning how to fight in the spiritual battles. Sometimes I think to myself, what are we doing? What are we doing? getting drunk and numbing ourselves? What are we doing at the casinos, gambling away, trying to win big when the battle is actually out there? What are we doing at the strip clubs? What are we doing on those websites? What are we doing at those massage parlors? What are we doing when we should be fighting. Men, what are we doing? Some of us are frozen solid. You think this is the first time the Lord has seen what you have been doing, but it is not. And be rest assured that we will have time to respond in repentance as well. Men, we need to fight. I really struggled in listing these things. Maybe it's a stab in the dark with some examples, but I really felt that the Spirit has pressed on my heart to shed light on some of these possible darknesses. Men, we need to learn how to fight. We gotta learn how to fight. Sisters, women, what are you doing trying to find your security and comfort in this world? What are you doing hoping in your children so much that you think they can save you or make all your sufferings worth it. Women, we need to fight. Men, we need to fight. Brothers and sisters, we need to fight to trust in the Lord when we are in the valleys. There is a battle going on and I wanna exhort you and encourage you and challenge you right now to start fighting to start fighting, to have your eyes opened, that it's, it's, it's not just random things that are going on, but there is a battle. Now, I wouldn't come down on us this hard if the hope wasn't equally as profound. Although there is a battle in the valley, brothers and sisters, there is hope on the hills. As we continue in our text in Exodus 17, Verse 10, we see this. 
After Moses says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand grew weary. And so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hand, one on the one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. I don't know military strategy and history much. All I know is what I see in the movies. But there seems to be something significant about the hill. That any time there is a battle scene going on, often we see the king, his chariots, the banners, the flags, and a whole line of army standing ready at the hill. That as the foot soldiers in the valley are fighting, they can look to the hill and be reassured that there is another army to come. That they can look to the hills and know that there is help, that they can look to the hill and know there is hope. They can look to the hill and know that there is reinforcements if they need it. But we don't have that here. This is strange. What do we have? As Joshua, the commander, the general of the Lord's army here, is fighting in the valleys, he looks up and he doesn't see his king with his chariots he doesn't see the banner of his people and the flags of victory and a whole line of army ready to reinforce their efforts. He sees Moses, a weak and old man, who indeed at one time stretched out his hand with the staff of God to bring about the plagues, who did at one time stretch out his hand with the staff of God to split the Red Sea, but now he looks up and he sees Moses tired and unable to keep his hand steady. We see the frailty of, of, of even Moses here. So how can there be any hope on the hills? One thing commentators have debated on what Moses is doing, some said he is just chanting a magical spell so that his people would win. And every time he stopped, the people would lose. Some have said that he is just standing there as a symbol of hope, and every time he lowered his hand, the soldiers were discouraged. And others have said that what Moses is actually doing is praying. And I believe that last one is most accurate, although it's not as precise, what Moses is doing there is in a posture of dependence and practically he is praying. He is stretching out his hand and beseeching God and saying, Lord, will you give us victory? Will you give us victory? And for some reason, the Lord would have it that his hands being lifted up in dependence is tied to the battle that is going on in the valley. 
Brothers and sisters, what we are being told here is that there's a significant reality of a battle that is being fought and a dependency of God in prayer. Basically, if I can boil it down, what we are being told is that the only way we can have hope in the hill is if we have hope in God, is if we are praying. If we realize that there is spiritual battles in the valley of our lives, then we must pray that we continue to hope in God. It wasn't too long ago when I exhorted you all that we must be a praying church. And it wasn't too long ago many have come up to me and said, I was so moved by that sermon. But our prayer room is still empty. I fear that our prayer lives are still less than fervent. Brothers and sisters, we are being encouraged and exhorted here that if we are to win the spiritual battles in the valley, we must lift up our holy hands in prayer to depend on God, that he is the one that gives us victory. I've mentioned some dark sins earlier, sins that many of us find enslaved and addicted to. If you have any hope in being freed and liberated from those things, it must start with prayer and hope in Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is hope on the hills and we must pray. Let me take it further. When we look at the hills, perhaps we might see what Joshua sees, a weak man can't even hold up his hands. He needs to sit down. He needs to have one guy hold his one hand and another guy holds his another hand. Perhaps when we look at Christ, that's what we see. A weak man who was crucified and nailed. A weak man who has come to save the world but only to give his life. Perhaps even though we believe in Jesus, often in the battles of our valleys, we only see him as this weak man. I want us to be encouraged here. You know what's beautiful? This isn't the first time Joshua will look up to the hills. Here Joshua looks up to the hills and they see Moses along with Aaron and Hur stretch out their hands in hope. Later in Joshua 5, he'll look up to the hills before the battle of Jericho and he will see the commander, the general of the Lord's army with his hands out stretched with the sword in it. And now Joshua gets a better picture and he goes up to this man and he says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel of the Lord says, no, but I am for God. And Joshua here, the general, is comforted. The psalmist will write in Psalm 121, I look up to the hills and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Here we see Aaron, who will be associated with the tribe of Levites, the priesthood. We see here her, who's associated with the tribe of Judah, where King David and ultimately the line of Jesus will come through. And here we also see a weak Moses, but a prophet nonetheless, standing at the top of this hill, 
And perhaps this is reading too much into it, but we see the threefold offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king here in a frail form in these three men standing on a hill, yet the Lord still uses them. But when you and I look to the hills, brothers and sisters, we do not see Moses or Aaron or her. We see Christ himself. When you and I look up to the hills, when we find hope in what is on the hill, we see Jesus on the cross there, whose hands were stretched out, who was voluntarily nailed on the cross, who not in weakness but in strength gave his life so that he may bear the sins of the world, that he may bear our sins, who not in weakness came but in humility took on the form of man, who not in weakness hung there but in all strength took the full wrath of God, who only sits because the work is done and not because he is tired, who only drops his hand not because he's weary, but because it is finished. When we look to the hills, we look at Christ who is seated on the right hand of God, who has finished the work of salvation. When we are in our valleys, in our battles, we look to the hope on the hills because the victory has been won. But brothers and sisters, there are a lot of cleaning up to do. The victory is won, the victory is secure, but we must continue to fight. We must continue to fight. There are many more battles in the history of Israelites. This is the first battle. As the Lord leads them to the promised land, they will face many more enemies. As the Lord leads you and I to that very last day, we will have many more battles. And so the last point I want to leave with you is a banner that you can look to in every battle. A banner that you can look to, which is Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we continue in our text here, the Lord tells Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, just as I recite this in your ears in your battles that I will utterly blot out the memory of Emelech under the heaven, that God will blot out any memory of the enemy we have that is battling against us. And here we are told in verse 15, Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. When Joshua looked up, he didn't simply see an old tired Moses. He indeed, to some degree, see his king, see his citizenship of heaven waving. He indeed, perhaps to some degree, saw the banner of the Lord waving. If I can take you back to US history in your social studies class to give you an example. Some of us are familiar with a poem called Defense of Fort McHenry, written by Francis Scott Key in 1814, which recounts the War of 1812, particularly the Battle of Baltimore. He writes in his poem, O say, can you see? 
by the dawn's early light. What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. Over the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave? In 1931, this first verse of this poem will be adopted as the national anthem of United States of America, what someone called the United States of America. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> this is an illustration we have as we look here in our text, that no matter what the war may seem like, no matter how many red flares of rockets, no matter how many bombs are bursting around us, no, many, no matter how many landmines are going, no matter how hopeless the battle may be, we can look to the banner of the Lord, we can look to Christ who is seated on the right hand of God, we can look to the hills and find our hope because Christ is there because Christ is there. Now as we leave, I want to give you just some practical ways to see and to realize when you are engaging in spiritual warfare. Oftentimes, when you feel pressure one way, when you're trying to obey, when you're trying to grow in Christ's likeness, but you feel pressure against it, it is probably a spiritual battle happening there. Let me give you an example. I did not want to come and preach this Sunday. I'm sorry. I'm sick. I'm tired. I did not want to preach. At the end of the year, quite frankly, oftentimes, I just get tired of people. I'm a good extrovert until I'm spent, and I need time by myself. And I thought to myself, how ironic is it that the text I'm supposed to preach on is on spiritual battles, and everything inside of me just does not want to preach it. I was at College United. I went for one full day on Friday. I started to feel sick. Um, I recently got the Apple Watch and it was telling me my resting heart rate was 119. I'm no scientist or doctor, but I thought that was pretty strange because it's normally 56. I'm getting dizzy. I'm driving home about midnight. And before I leave, one of the pastors there, he says, hey, can I pray for you? Because he knew I wasn't feeling well. And usually I would say no, because this particular pastor, he gets a little extra. And I'm just like, come on, dude, I'm a pastor too. I get it. Ha ha, come on, man. And I usually just kind of write him off. But I said, you know what? I said, yeah, please pray for me. And he just said a short prayer. He said, God, I ask that you give him uh, strength to help him to get home safely, um, make him alert. And, we, and I ask that you make everyone else on the road alert as well. I said, thank you. I got on the road. I'm driving, I'm going down 76 East. It's raining, it's dark. And you know when you're tired and you're driving, there's that moment when you close your eyes and open it, when you blink, and it takes a second for the lights to kind of come back on and you, you felt like you, you dozed off for a second and I'm going through that. I'm driving, it's dark, it's raining. There's two cars about 50 feet in front of me. The first car, all of a sudden, I see the taillights swerve completely right at a 90 degrees angle. 
And then I see this, the car, I don't know if it was hydroplaning, and, and he just turned. He went completely 90 degrees, and the car started to flip in the air. Not hamburger style, I mean hot dog style, the long ways. And it twirled in the air from the left lane all the way to the shoulder. And the car that was in between me and that car started to break and swerve. And my reaction just took over, thank the Lord, because I was just in shock. I just let off the acceleration. I started to pump my brakes, and I tried to try to to whatever move I needed to make. And luckily, I, I went right past it without being a part of that accident. And I thought to myself, man, the enemy really does not want me to preach this today. Pastor Stevens texted me, hey, are you going to be able to preach? I said, yes, I will preach no matter what, so long the Lord lets me. My wife's looking at me, I'm all hunched over like a miserable bum. Are you still going to preach this Sunday? I said, definitely. She said, definitely? I said, definitely. I'm going to preach no matter what, so long as the Lord lets me. Some of you guys are going to be watching the game later today. You're going to hear that star-spangled banner playing, and I hope that you will remember this sermon. As a defensive lineman in football, we're taught that when we feel pressure one way, we have to fight that pressure. Meaning, if I'm feeling pressure on my right, I was always taught to step to the right and fight that way because they're trying to clear me. If I feel pressure on the left, I step to the left and I fight that because they're trying to open up that hole. So in the spiritual battles, brothers and sisters, if you feel pressure one way when you're trying to pursue the Lord, you need to take a hard step that way and you need to push. You need to push with prayer. You need to push with the word and you need to push counting on other brothers and sisters. If you feel pressure coming at you when you're trying to go forward in faithfulness, that's probably a good sign that there is a spiritual battle happening and you need to dig deep and you need to fight that pressure. Offensively speaking, as an offensive lineman, again, I'm sorry, there's so much sports illustrations, but I did give you the Star Spangled Banner. Offensively, if you are going to take the offense on the spiritual battles in the valley, what we were always taught was to set the tone. To set the tone. Coach would always say, when you break the huddle, you run to the line, you get in your stance, and the quarterback starts his cadence. We set the tempo, we set the tone, we control the battle, we control the game, we control the outcome. The defense is shifting, they don't know what's going on, they're trying to gauge us, and we are marching on. Offensively speaking, brothers and sisters, if you are going to battle in your valley, you need to set the tone. You cannot go with the flow. You can't expect that if you're not disciplined before the Lord, that if you're not setting the alarm, if you're not making the appointments, if you are not setting the tone, that you are going to come out. If you are not setting the tone, with prayer, if you're not setting the tone in God's word, if you're not setting the tone each day in utter surrenderance to the Lord, you will lose the battle. Brothers and sisters, defend against spiritual battles. Fight the pressures that you feel when you're trying to be faithful. Be on the offense. Be disciplined. Set the tone.
You will face many, many battles in your valley, but you're not alone. Look to the hills, because that's where our hope is. And as you look to the hill, my hope is that you will see the banner of the Lord waving in victory, that it would give you the courage and the determination to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Now, I want to give us some time to respond in prayer. So let's pray.